0: Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Father, with so many distractions in this world, Father, some of them good, family, employment, our work, our job, uh, church, worship, Father, we can be consumed with lesser things. Although good things, but they're lesser things. Father, help us to uh, see you as Isaiah saw you, high and lifted up. Even as we sang that, Father, I thought of John 12 where you spoke of seeing you, your son, the Lord Jesus, high and lifted up on the cross. John says this in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, lavished upon us. And we see that love at Calvary. So, Father, help us to be done with lesser things, Father. And may you be the vision of our heart, the desire of our heart, Father. Your glory, your majesty, your greatness. Father, all these other things are good in their own right father they're not properly experienced except when you are our passion and our desire so father help us as the deer pants for the water may our soul long after you we ask in jesus name amen well here in chapter seven paul is addressing i think a question I think uh, what kind of overrides this whole chapter is uh, the idea of celibacy. And um, the first question, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So he's answering a question here. Is it good for a man not to have such relationships with a woman? I think King James would translate that as it good for a man not to touch a woman. That's kind of a euphemism uh, for sexual relationships. And so that's the question. Is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? Is it good to be celibate? And so that's the question I think Paul is answering. And he kind of covers a whole spectrum of, in relationship to this question. Uh, So we're just going to kind of run through these verses and just try to uh, deal with them as we come across them. So that's the question. Celibacy. Is that God's plan? Well, uh, for some, I would say, he says that later on, it's a gift. Celibacy is a gift from God. And, um, but God's basic pattern is marriage. So verse two, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own, own husband. Now, um, that's not the only reason to get married is to, to avoid the temptation of sexual immorality. But, um, in, and I want to go back to what I've talked about several times about this covenant relationship. There's there's safety inside this covenant relationship. And I can't repeat that enough. Uh, the vulnerability of our physical nakedness and even the nakedness of our soul, it should be safe in this covenant relationship. Not always true, not always so, but that's God's design. And... Uh, so Paul speaks highly of marriage, particularly in Ephesians 5 um, 22 and 23. So he's not denigrating marriage. He has a high opinion of marriage. And so um, beginning in verse 22, wives, submit you? Well let me back up to verse 21. Um, the the context of chapter 5, let's just back up to the first verse. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now it says, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure who is covetous, that is idolatry, has not inherited the kingdom of Christ and God. They're not born again. Now, this means the pattern of the life. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God ...comes upon the children are the sons of disobedience, which he picked up or mentioned, first of all, back in chapter 2. Therefore do not associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of life is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord... Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, how, by the light of Christ in us. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that has become visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise." making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled, or con- really, as the present tense, be continually filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that submission is in the grand scheme of the body of Christ, but also it's in the particular scheme of the home, of the husband and wife. There's, there's in a sense, a mutual submission of commitment to one another and honoring one another. And so Paul then goes on picking up this idea of submission. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And that's what he says. They're submitting one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And that doesn't mean slavery. It doesn't mean abusiveness. It doesn't mean dictatorship. But there's a love relationship going on here. And the ability of wives submitting to their husbands is wrapped up in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ, as Christ loved the church. Sacrificially, completely, uh, unreservedly, um, lovingly. And, and so, Christ gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything, that she might be holy. And without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So there's love and cherished attitude of of the husband toward the wife. Now, I don't know any woman that's being loved and cherished by their husband... Um, maybe there are some, but I don't... I think logically we would say if if the husband is being who he should be as a spiritual leader in the home who is loving the wife unreservedly, sacrificially, consistently, and cherishing her just as Christ does the church, um, a woman I think would be willingly submissive to her husband because of these because of this attitude he has toward her. And Paul repeats the institution of marriage that God established in Genesis. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and take hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church, this union of the Christ and the church, But it's also profound in the marriage relationship, how this one flesh goal and purpose that God has can can really only be accomplished when there's this union of the heart and soul and even the bodies of a man and woman inside this covenant relationship that uh, produces what God has designed marriage to be. Uh, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So that's Paul's high view of marriage. So chapter 7 of 1 um, Corinthians is not saying that celibacy is superior uh, to marriage, because marriage is God's first design. Of relationships. And as we'll see as we go through chapter 7, um, celibacy is a gift from God and not intended for everyone. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3 2, uh, it says, Therefore, an overseer, a pastor, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And in, in chapter 4, verse 3, um, Let me start in verse 1, 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching de- teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth, okay, so um, Paul is not forbidding marriage, in fact, he says that's an indication of false teaching, of false teachers, of liars, of the teaching of demons, and so there's a high view of marriage, so um, getting married is not just to avoid sexual immorality, but it is a safe place to avoid sexual immorality, and that's God's plan and God's design, And so he he says the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Um, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Again, there's this mutual commitment to one another. And so such relationships in marriage are not to be used as a weapon. Is not to be used to get one's own way. It is not to be used to be selfish for self-satisfaction. And um, there's a mutual giving of one another. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Giving one, again, within this circle... There is safety to do that. Now, we're fallen creatures. There's no perfect husband. The only perfect husband is the Lord Jesus. And there's no perfect wife. Um, So this is continual surrendering. That's why I read the major part of chapter 5. Of this walking in love and walking in the light. And uh, uh, submitting to one another and as if we're submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. This life of submission to Christ gives us the opportunity to submit to one another and to take up the roles that God has placed uh, with us as husbands and wives and uh, this high view of marriage, okay? Okay. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, in a limited time, that you may devote yourself yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay. Again, there is safety in this marriage, bond, and commitment. I think I... Uh, <clears throat> Shared this earlier, maybe last month, a few weeks ago when we started 1 Corinthians. If you see a triangle here, okay? Got a triangle. And um, here's the husband, here's the wife. Christ is the foundation. God's Word is the foundation of marriage. Christ and, and God is the desire of marriage and the aim of marriage. So here, At the bottom of this triangle is Christ and God, His Word, the foundation. Christ in the Lord, God the Father, is the aim. So, here's here's the husband, here's the wife. As they are pursuing that same aim, this is the process of becoming one flesh. By pursuing Christ. Now, if one's pursuing... And the other's not. We got a big problem. One's pursuing over here. The other's not. We got a big problem. He talks about that later on. About when a a wife or a husband comes to Christ and is born again, and they and they have an unbelieving spouse. If that spouse is willing to remain in the marriage, Paul says stay in the marriage. And we'll talk about that later. But if that unbelieving spouse does not want to stay in the marriage then there is freedom to release them and release yourself from that marriage commitment. We'll talk more about that. But this is what Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. to believers. Christ is the foundation of their lives. Christ is the foundation of their marriage. And as they pursue Christ, that's the process of one becoming one flesh. And there's a physical aspect of it. Uh, science knows, medical science knows, that when a man and woman engage in sexual relationship, something happens in the brain. There is something that happens that brings bonding between those two individuals. And if you're outside of this circle, and this the safety of the covenant relationship, and that occurs, and then they go their separate ways... There is something in each one of them that is lost. It's not lost inside this circle. It's reinforced. It, it deepens. The, the connection deepens. The one flesh relationship deepens. But when sexual relationships are engaged in outside of this commitment and this circle, and those individuals go their separate ways... There is diminishing of those both of those individuals, and sometimes it has ramifications. Well, not sometimes it it has ramifications down the road. Um, when either one of these want to enter into a a real marriage of commitment, there are, there it can have, it has and can have ramifications from that uh, previous activity. Um, And so Satan says that uh, depriving your spouse is setting up a trap for temptation. And um, he says, do not deprive, verse 5 again, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. That you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, don't don't use sexual relationship within a marriage as a weapon, as a means to get your own way, as a, a means of just satisfying your own desires it must be mutual and desire is to uh, bless your spouse and your spouse to bless you in this relationship. Uh, Someone has said this way. Marriage is for procreation. God told Adam and Eve in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. And uh, You can only have a male and a female to be fruitful and multiply. That's why God's design is for one man and one woman. That's what marriage is. I don't care what society says. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. The Word of God says marriage is between a man, one man, and one woman. And the commitment is to be as best the standard for life. That's why we say, till death do us part in our vows. I know sin happens. Our fallenness happens. Marriages break up. I understand that. But we want to always maintain the ideal and hold up the ideal. Marriage is for pleasure. God designed sexual relationships to be pleasurable. Now, it goes deeper than just the physical part. Um, And... um, I don't know if I want to go down this road, but let me just say it this way. Um, The most important uh, aspect, particularly in women, of sexual desire starts in their mind, in their brain. When the husband is kind, when he's gentle when he is loving and cherishing. Uh, Men are visual and um, but women are relational in many ways. In fact, uh, women have the capacity to relate in a multiple uh, stream of relationships and um, men are kind of Single-minded. And so, um, you can't expect a woman to be interested or submissive to sexual relationships, even within a marriage, when the husband is abusive, verbally, particularly. When he is um, absent, might be present in the body, but absent in his spirit in the home. Um, and so there's a submissiveness there's this desire to walk in love for the husband to love and cherish the wife and when that's going on the initiative falls with the man i know it's verse 25 as opposed to verse 22 but the most important verse is verse 25 for husbands to love their wives as christ loved the church that brings 22 around to a much easier path for the wife to be submissive to the husband. In other words, the most important thing a father can do for their children, for his children, is to love his wife. That's the most important thing he can do for his children, is to biblically, honorably love his wife, faithfully and truly. If you want to bless your children, love your wife as God designed you to do. So, let's go on. We've still got a little bit of time. Verse 6, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. Now there's some debate whether Paul was ever married. I personally believe that he was. He was a member of Sanhedrin, and and generally, as a requirement of Sanhedrin, was for you to be married. Now, at this time, Paul is not married. It might be his wife died, passed away. It might be, once he came to faith in Christ, that his wife, as an unbeliever, did not want to remain in the marriage. That might be a possibility why he gives this instruction later on in this chapter. We don't know, this is all speculation. But at this time, Paul is not married. So he says, I wish that all of you were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So marriage is a gift from God. Celibacy is a gift from God. And if you've not received the gift of marriage and received the gift of celibacy, you're going to find contentment there. Um, As an individual submissive to that gift, who receives that gift with desire to honor God with that gift. But both marriage and celibacy is a gift. So that's why he says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, marriage, and one of another, marriage celibacy the unmarried and the widows i say that it's good for them to remain single as i am but if they cannot exercise self-control they should marry for it's better to marry than to be aflame with the passion or uh, i forget how king james translates that burn um burn with desire, something like that. Let me look it up real quick. Um, Verse 9. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Okay, be aflame with passion or desire. Now again, I think I read in one commentary, it might have been MacArthur's, but he was quoting somebody else. Uh, if you want to find the right person to marry, be the right person to marry. Okay? And so, uh, we, don't, we don't want to be grasping at straws. We don't want to just grab somebody for the sake of grabbing somebody. Um, that's happened. Uh, and it doesn't end well. It does not end well. Um, so, it's, it's a very difficult thing to wait on the Lord. And uh, but it, it can be done. Verse ten to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Now let's talk about believing spouses. The husband should not divorce his wife. Believing spouses. For you see, when a believing spouse is, two believers, their marriage uh, hits a hard spot, might be infidelity. Might be abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. The abuser or the one that is involved in infidelity needs to repent and be broken by that and seek reconciliation. Now, Proverbs says an offended brother is very difficult to restore. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what Proverbs talks about. And broken trust is very difficult to restore, but it's not impossible by the grace of God. And so it takes uh, submission to the Word of God, it takes submission to the Lord, it takes submission to each other, it takes submission to godly counsel. But marriages can be restored. If there's two believers. And the offender is really required by Scripture to repent and to seek restoration. And if both are seeking restoration, it can be accomplished. But trust is very difficult to restore but it can be restored and so paul's saying with two believers um, we should avoid divorce uh, at all costs if possible now i know it doesn't happen um, and, um, and and some are professing christians but but not genuine regenerate believers and one indication is that is when one's not willing to restore marriage that can be an indication not absolutely but a a high probability that that individual is not truly born again because as I mentioned I think last week or uh, previously uh, true believers we are broken by our sin we don't try to make excuses and justify we're broken by our sin. So verse 12, To the rest I say, and not the Lord. Now, uh, he's not saying that this does not have biblical authority or apostolic authority. Paul is saying here that there, there's not a direct commandment from the Lord um, that he can refer to. So he, he's speaking under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and because we believe the First Corinthians is the word of God, he's speaking with authority, apostolic authority. To the rest I say, not I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and that she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Um, I want to jump down to verse 17. There's a principle here. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him to which God has called him. And so Paul goes into a discussion to remain in circumstances that we find ourselves in, particularly when we first come to the Lord, not to necessarily jettison all that. Uh, my, we, you know, we would leave a life of sin. We would leave a life of a drunkenness or sexual immorality. We would leave that. But he's saying in relationships, uh, we have to be careful. So he says, if if you have an unbelieving husband, or unbelieving wife, and she wants to remain in the marriage, he's saying, remain in the marriage. Don't divorce her. Don't use your salvation experience to be an excuse to get rid of your wife. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Okay? need to remain in that relationship if there's mutual consent. Now, verse 14, sometimes it's a little difficult to understand what Paul is saying here. He says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Now, he's not saying that The husband is holy in the sense of salvation. He's saying because there's this light of Christ in this believer shining in this home, there's an opportunity for this spouse, whether husband or wife, to hear and see the gospel and by God's grace. God would open their heart, and they would come to saving faith. Now, let me give a word of caution here. Now sometimes, in a engagement setting, a dating setting, I think girls have a tendency to do this more than boys, but it's not exclusively for girls. and it, and it's not exclusively or excluded from guys to do this we're not to be missionaries in a dating relationship in the sense that I'm going to stay in this relationship because I'm going to get this guy or this girl converted. Now you can pray toward that. You can be very cautious in that relationship, uh, but you have to be very wise that if this unbelieving person date um has no desire um, for God or an openness to the gospel, you better bail from that relationship because you can get swept up into it and you may not be the influencer, you might be the influencee. You might be dragged away uh, from your faith in Christ. Now... um, I want to read 1 Peter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they're not believers, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, <clears throat> with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is God, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. Now, again, don't leave women by themselves. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, Live with your wife in a understanding way. According, King James says, according to knowledge, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, so they, so that they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So Paul is saying that if you, if a person comes to Christ after they're married, and the unbelieving spouse wants to remain in that marriage he says stay in that marriage because the gospel is present in that home and not only will the spouse have an opportunity to be exposed to the gospel uh, he also says otherwise your children will be unclean now he's not saying that they're unclean because they're born into a a, ungodly home he's saying uh, they're not going to have the influence of the gospel. They're not going to have the presence of the word of God. They're not going to have the activity in that home of the Holy Spirit through this believing spouse. And so he's saying, as long as this unbelieving spouse wants to remain in marriage, stay with it and let the light of Christ shine in that home so that uh, by by grace and by um, prayer, this spouse might come to faith these children are raised under the influence of the gospel um but in verse 15 and our time is about gone if the unbelieving partner separates let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved god has called you to peace um Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husbands, how do you know whether you will save your wife? And so if if an unbelieving spouse, after the other individual comes to saving faith in Christ, doesn't like it, doesn't want that in their home, and doesn't want to remain in that marriage and wants to leave, Paul is saying there's permission to let that unbelieving spouse go and um, it's not the best it's not ideal but there's permission and i believe where there's permission for divorce there's permission for remarriage for this believing spouse to by god's grace find a new husband or new wife and hopefully with wisdom to be a true believer to build a home that would honor christ and so um Let's just stop there. Our time is gone. There can be lots of questions in regard. Let me finish up this uh, these, this alliteration. Okay, marriage is for procreation. Marriage relationship is for pleasure. God designed our sexuality to be pleasurable within this protection and co- covenant of marriage. It's for partnership. The two shall become one flesh. It's not right that man should live alone. It's a picture of, of Christ in the church. Okay? And it's a place of purity, of um, safety. And so marriage is, is God's institution. And it's between one man and one woman. And His design is for life. I know because of our sinfulness and our brokenness, that doesn't always happen. But that's God's design. And uh, the home is the basic link of any society. When the home is strong with a husband and wife, society is strong. Just look at the history, of the last 50 or 60 years of America. And the breakdown of, I know it's ridiculed in our culture, the nuclear family of one man and one woman with children in a home. But that's God's design. And when that is occurring, a society is strong. When it breaks down, a society is ravished by it. And... um, There's empirical evidence of that. That's undeniable. Though it is denied, it's ignored and rejected. Uh, But there's empirical evidence of that truth. That when there's a father and mother in the home nurturing the children, uh, there's there's a better future for those children than without the presence of a mom and dad who are lovingly pursuing Christ and a relationship with God. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll pick up chapter 7 next week, Lord willing. Uh, Thank you for your prayers for our daughter. She's gradually making progress and we appreciate that. Her test last week was good. Uh, They were looking for some defects in her heart that might have caused the blood clot that caused the stroke, but the cardiologist said her heart looks good, so they're looking in other directions to see what might possibly have caused the stroke so that they can address that and, and seek to try to avoid. An additional stroke with my daughter so thank you for your prayers um we're wrapping up daniel uh, i think this sunday morning might be another sunday but i think we're gonna wrap up this, this sunday morning and uh so if you have a church home be faithful to your church home if not uh, come and join us at antioch we have bible study at 9:30. they're studying galatians and we have morning worship at 10:45. we're at 18319 wild horse creek road in chesterfield Um, i was going to say something else but i forgot what it was going to be oh if you don't know the lord jesus christ is the most important thing if you don't know the lord jesus christ it's my prayer that god will open your heart to your need to put your faith and your trust in the lord jesus christ there's no other hope there's no other hope for eternity except in the lord jesus christ father thank you for this time together thank you for your word Father, some simplicity in your word, but also, Father, some profoundness, some difficulty. But, Father, it's pretty straightforward, that Paul talks in this chapter. The honor of marriage, the gift of marriage, the gift of celibacy, which we'll expand on as we go through this chapter. But, Father, thank you for loving us, and thank you for Jesus being our great high priest, being our Lord, being our Savior, being our husband, being our bridegroom. And Father, as you're purifying the church for that day of Christ's return, I pray, Father, that anyone that might be listening by your grace, that you would open their heart to their need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.